I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. The CFL has been around for over 100 years. It has survived the Depression, World Wars, the ill-fated American expansion. High snap. Martino tries to angle it toward the near side. This is right inside his own 30-yard line. Straight up field. Chris Wright, and here he goes. Chris Wright at the 40-yard line. See you later. The Baltimore Stallions get on the scoreboard as Chris Wright runs one back 82 yards. And now it's trying to survive a worldwide pandemic with a war in the Ukraine and some of the worst inflation in 40 years. As you know, the 2020 season was wiped out. The league was on life support at the time. 2021 was anything but a hit. It was a shortened season. The majority of teams took a huge financial hit. And now here we are in 2022. It is recovery time. An okay TV contract is still in place. A new seven-year collective bargaining agreement has been worked out with the players. Small amounts of revenue sharing, which is a good start. But sadly, the age-old question remains. Can this league survive in its current economic model? We're going to tackle that issue today on Football North. It's a real pleasure to be joined by Masha Lander, a professor of economics at Concordia University. And if I'm not mistaken, a pretty big sports fan as well. Is that correct, Moshe? Uh, I'm a Stamps fan, so I've got skin in the game here <laughs> as much as I guess any other CFL fan. So, yes, uh, I'll say that I, I, I do pass that test. Fantastic. Okay, the, the word I use to describe the CFL is resilient. Uh, they do seem to bounce back. Would you agree or disagree? Yes, they are definitely resilient. Uh, they bounce back. I would even maybe say that they seem to get by in spite of themselves. Sometimes they are their own worst enemy. Uh, and I, I think some of the uh, actions that they've taken over the last few years have, have been partly self-inflicted as much as they've been globally inflicted. Okay, expand on that. You know, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, you know, hey, we, we all know the economic state of the Canadian Football League. It, it is at times on, on life support. Uh, expand on that for me a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. So, I, you know, in, in your lead-in, you were talking about the idea that they lost the 2020 season, right? I mean, nothing could have been done about COVID. Nobody could have seen that coming. There was nothing that they could have done to prepare for it. But the other professional sports figured out pretty quickly how to continue to operate even though there was a pandemic going around the world, right? The CFL managed to blow it. (laughs) Um, There was talk of maybe bubbling up in Winnipeg, or there was talk about trying to get something together, even if it was a shortened season. Uh, But they managed to to fumble that one, if I can use that analogy. I'll probably use it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year, they didn't get in a full season. This year, uh, they almost managed to blow the beginning of the season because of of labor disagreement, right? These are the types of things that an organization that's been around for 100 years, that has survived the Depression and all of the other experiences that you described, they shouldn't be having these problems now. They should be able to see far enough ahead and realize that they are resilient and they need to make sure that the product is on the field because it's one of those products that if you don't see it, unfortunately, a lot of people don't notice it. I I would agree with that. And and, and the other unique 
concept of the Canadian Football League is private ownership versus community ownership. Now, we don't really know the numbers from the private ownership groups. You know, we, we, we can assume that some of them have lost money. Some of them are, are some of the richest people in this country. Hey, Maple, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, they're a huge multi-billion dollar business. You know, Murray Edwards here in Calgary, uh, one of the richest men in this country. He is the majority owner of Calgary Sports and, and Entertainment. How do, how do you work that from an economic standpoint when you're dealing with community ownership in some markets and private ownership in others? I mean, the, the ownership model itself shouldn't make a huge difference. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's whatever is best for the city. And you can see that you know, the, the community-owned uh, franchises are the ones with some of the longest and most storied histories, right? The, the ones that seem to be in financial trouble are the ones that are owned privately, um, or at least they're the ones that seem to uh, you know, fall into the category of, of maybe having the, the greatest problems with uh, labor strife and, and um, putting bums in seats, right? But the, the idea from an economic standpoint is we can say that, look, you don't have to be a huge fan to know that if there's going to be uh, profitable franchises in the CFL, it's not going to be in Toronto, it's not going to be in Montreal, and in part that's because uh, a fan in those cities has so many other things competing for their limited disposable income dollars that if you don't put a winner on the field, uh, that's a lot of investment that you're asking financially and time-wise for a product that's not good. But if you take a look at, say, the Rough Riders, where really it is the only game, not just in town, but in the province, uh, this is the type of thing where fans are really going to be able to get behind it. And, and they have the greatest chance then of, of making profits because this is a league that's being driven primarily by you have to have fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a similar model to the NHL. Yeah, you know, you're right. It is still a gate-driven league, and you are fighting for the entertainment dollar. And, and, and I think it's kind of sad that, you know, hey, even if you have a winning team in Toronto or Calgary or Vancouver, you should still be able to compete for that entertainment dollar. My philosophy is you've got to know your demographic. This is not the National Hockey League. You know, if you know your demographic, but that, that seems to be one of the fights that we've gone year after year after year in this league. You're absolutely right. Uh, you mentioned in the lead in there the, the disastrous American expansion, right? Talk about not knowing your demographic. To, to think that somehow uh, the CFL would fly in Vegas or Baltimore or Birmingham, uh, this, was, this was crazy from the outset to, to just think that football is football is football. The CFL is not the NFL. It's not U.S. college football. And so I, I, I think that they've always had a bit of this identity crisis. I don't know if it's just... Uh, our Canadian nature that we always feel inferior to the U.S. or we always feel that we need to prove ourselves. Uh, the CFL has different rules. It has a different field size. It has different um, uh, structure in, in terms of the Canadian and American content components as well. If they would just do a little bit of introspection after, say, a century and realize this is a niche sport, it is inherently Canadian, it's always going to be that way, uh, then they can build a better business model recognizing what it's serving. But if they're constantly trying to be all things to all people, then they're going to be nothing to nobody. I certainly don't want to compare it to the NHL because it's not the NHL, as, uh, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago. And yet, you know, you, you look at, you know, that model where, you know, some owners don't mind losing money because they use it for a tax write-off. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, I'm not an economics guy. You're an economics guy. D- does that come into play because it's about building your franchise value, is it not? 
It, it could be, but the thing is that the CSL franchises aren't all that valuable, right? right? So when you're talking about Murray Edwards or you're talking about Maple Leaf Entertainment, right? These are billionaires. These are multi-billion-dollar corporations, right? What's the value of a CSL franchise? It, it, it's not in the billions of dollars. It, it's not even in the tens of millions of dollars, right? If you take the most profitable franchises, uh, they're earning probably seven figures. Uh, that's a salary for an NHL defenseman, right? So the fact is that if they're getting some sort of tax benefit from this, it's not substantial. And if you were looking for that sort of thing, you're better off building an Amazon distribution center (laughs) and looking for some sort of tax break from the city for for the land value, right? So um, I I, I shudder to think that, um, you know, this is a toy for the owners because I don't even think that it's all that great of a toy. It's a great product. But it's not the type of thing that the rich want to be able to use as a plaything. There, there's better ways to to even do that. Well, that just a follow up question there is then then why would you do it? I, you know, it's a, you're obviously in it to, to make a little bit of money and try to build your franchise value. I, it, it's it's uh, it's mind boggling to me. It is, and you know, I, I think that the the answer of why do they do it comes up every time that we see there's an ownership group change, right? Um, how many times have we seen say that the Alouettes have struggled to find uh, stable ownership? Uh, they've struggled to the point that sometimes they haven't even existed, right? The Alouettes are here today, gone tomorrow, here today again, right? Ottawa is a similar sort of story. So, you know, one of the interesting things that I think that the various ownership groups have started to realize is that the real value of their ownership is in trying to negotiate new stadium deals. And it's not the stadium itself that becomes the attraction. It's all of the ancillary development around it. And you can take a look at, say, lands down in Ottawa, Uh, And, you know, in Calgary, uh, not to use the NHL analogy, but take a look at the way that Calgary Sports and Entertainment uh, is using a new saddle dome as a way to drive economic development for themselves around that. They're going to use the same playbook when they want to get out of McMahon and move downtown or move to the West Village. And Edmonton probably has a similar sort of logic behind it uh, if and when it decides it wants to leave Commonwealth up in the Northeast. You know, that that's a great point because, you know, new stadiums are sexy and, you know, it, it's a short sh- shelf life because, you know, you can look at Winnipeg and you look at Saskatchewan and you can look at Hamilton, new stadiums, but, you know, and, and they were packed early, but they're they're not packed now. You, you still have to provide that world-class entertainment for fans because you are competing with that entertainment dollar. And that's, and that's the thing that I think, you know, we as fans don't understand is that at the end of the day, uh, if you can't put a product on the field that people want to watch... You can have all the bells and whistles in the stadium. You can have uh, the greatest product on on TSN. But uh, if your team isn't uh, competitive, then there are better things to do. And unfortunately for the CFL, is their season has traditionally been the Canadian summer. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not sure that uh, I would necessarily want to sit at McMahon in minus 20 or minus 30. But the fact is that if it's plus 30 outside and the stamps are not competing, uh, I'm going to go enjoy downtown Calgary. I'm going to go enjoy uh, bars on 17th Avenue, and the stamps are going to be an afterthought. Uh, if you had a slightly different season, it might be the type of thing that fans would get behind or be at least a little more forgiving if the team weren't performing well. How important is revenue sharing you know, amongst the teams? Because we've already talked about the discrepancy in ownership because you've got private ownership versus community ownership. You know, Is that a model, in your opinion, that can work in the Canadian Football League? I think it's a model that has to work uh, in the Canadian Football League. You only have nine teams, right? So when you talk about revenue sharing in, in the other North American sports, even Major League Soccer has way more than nine franchises, right? So to try and get some sort of buy-in from that many owners, 
uh, is always going to be a challenge. But if baseball can find a way to get 30 billionaires with much, much bigger egos uh, to, to share out their revenue, the CFL can too. It, it can almost revert to a model of collective ownership uh, of the league structure with player allocation rather than nine teams uh, with separate ownership structures and separate uh, business models. It, it, it's, it's not a large enough league that uh, the lack of revenue sharing is, is going to be a, a benefit to them because you really have haves and have-nots and those have-nots can't disappear because that disappearance would actually undermine the long-term viability of the league. I know you're an economics guy and not a marketing guy, but, you know, it's it, it, we talked about knowing your demographic, and, and I think we all know this is an older demographic in the Canadian Football League. And, and I look back at the pandemic, and I, I, I read some of the comments that I'm getting from fans from uh, the Calgary Stampeders when I host the, the broadcast. You know, the, 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 the older demographic hates the fact that, you know, they, they have e-tickets and everything else. The younger demographic likes that, but the younger demographic is not getting those e-tickets right now. You know, the older demographic likes the, the hard tickets. And they, they want you know this. This is a fine line, I, I think, for for owners because you want to attract the younger demographic, but you've got the older demographic. You've got to you got to satisfy as well. It's almost it's almost like a microcosm of society at large, right? Older people are the ones that vote, but younger people are the ones who have to pay the cost of what the older people vote for, right? right. So, um, you know, when you have that older demographic, and it's not just older, uh, it's older, it's male, and it's white. Right. So this is a declining portion of Canadian society as a whole. So look, you need to cater to that demographic because they're the ones with the disposable income dollars that are going to spend on your team and that are going to buy the merchandise. But it's the younger demographic that's going to be the older demographic in 20 years. And so you ignore them at your peril. And, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's not a large enough league with a large enough revenue base that it can be running uh, two different models. Right. One that caters to the old and one that caters to the young. So right. it, it's going to have to try and always straddle that fine line of which side are we going to support and which side are we maybe going to isolate. The, the catch of the CFL these days is that the young people, if they don't get catered to, they got soccer coming up here in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the one that's really going to start to take away those those longer-term fans. That continuous action. And and, and it goes back to a, another great talking point because, you know, everybody talks about, you know, oh, the CFL has to do a better job of, of attracting, you know, the younger fan. I'll tell you what, as I said earlier, it's not the NHL. Kids in this country, they grow up, uh, they play hockey. They're, they're, it's all part of the Canadian culture, and you go to junior games, and then eventually you get a job and you go to NHL games. You know, the NFL is exactly the same boat because, you know, y- your grassroots football in the United States is huge. The NCAA is a great feeder. you got all these students going to games, and then all of a sudden those college kids become, you know, obviously part of the workforce, and guess what? They, they turn to the pros, so it's easier to attract that younger demographic if you the NHL and the NFL, whereas the Canadian Football League, it, it really isn't part of the Canadian culture. It is regionally, but it's not nationally, right? right. And, and yeah, even I guess we could even make the argument that even in the U.S., it is kind of a regional thing, right? The SEC uh, has a holdover football in a way that doesn't exist in the American Northeast, for example, right? New Yorkers don't take to college football in the same way that they do in the Southeast. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, they have a problem with the theater system. Now, I, I will say that I grew up in London, Ontario, and so the University of Western Ontario was always kind of the Ontario powerhouse. And in part, my my Stamps fandom uh, goes back to Dave Sapunjas, right, um, <laughs> who was a Western star and, and went out to Calgary, right? Um, the, the 
Problem is, though, that the Ontario uh, or Canadian university system is not a feeder for the CFL in the way that the NCA is a feeder there. We, we don't keep in mind where did they play college football. Uh, and even the way that they accept the Americans, they're almost viewed the moment they come across the border as failures. It's You couldn't cut it in the NFL. You couldn't get a deal. Therefore, you're up here. The Warren Moons, the Doug Flutie's, the Jeff Garcia's, those are the rarities, not the common element. And so that itself helps harm the idea of a feeder system. It's that this is a place where dreams go to die, not where you launch yourself onto greater things. Hmm. I, I love the NLL because the National Lacrosse League, you know, and especially here in Calgary, you know, the Calgary Roughnecks, they have the great slogan, come for the party, stay for the game. And, and you know, there's there's great loud music and there's continuous action and, and fans, you know, love the party. I, I look at week one in Vancouver, the new owner of the BC Lions, you know, brings in One Republic, creates this huge event. They get over 30,000 people, you know, because it, it, it's a younger demographic with, you know, a, a great band that we saw at, at a great cup game, you know, a, a few years ago. And then, you know, you, you don't have that. That same atmosphere and and what did they get uh, you know in week number three they had like uh, you know 14 or 15,000 people for the game so uh, w- when you talk about you know competing for the entertainment dollar is that is that is that something that the, the league has to do a better job of is is just working on that overall entertainment package for sure and and one of the issues that they have is that places like McMahon or Commonwealth are not where the people are uh, to, right. to get out to McMahon is an inconvenience. I live part of the year in downtown Calgary. And if I want to go up to uh, a, a Stamps game, you know, i got to take two different sea uh, train lines to get up there. And even when I'm there, I still have to, you know, cross the highway to, to get there. Um, if you build that stadium in downtown where the people are, where they're already partying, where they're already drinking – uh, you know, the, the idea of throwing out a few bucks and going to the game becomes a very easy sell. And it's the thing then that the, the atmosphere is not just within the stadium, but it's outside as well. Beyond that, the, the league needs to really take a look at gambling. And, you know, much as it comes with social problems, mm-hmm. football is one of the most ideal sports for gambling. And so it's the type of thing that can attract uh, a person who maybe has uh, a little bit of a desire for some, you know, extra skin in the game, uh, and they would be able to engage more. Um, but the other thing that the, the CFL has a problem with is, you know, they have their uh, four games a week, one's on Thursday, one's on Friday, one's on Saturday, one's on Sunday. Well, you know, part of what makes the NFL fun is when you have all the games running at the same time, right? Everybody loves Sunday at 1 o'clock. Um, Monday night football, Thursday night football, unless they're headliners – People tune out. And in the CFL, when you only have nine teams, you can't keep putting uh, Calgary on the the primetime game. Uh, it's not fair, but it's the type of thing then that just starts losing fans. We have uh, we have hit a lot of talking points here, uh, and, and, and I do appreciate your insight. You know, so, so, so I guess I'll ask you the question. Can this league survive in its current economic model, in your opinion? The league will survive. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Can it survive okay. with the current economic model? Well, apparently it's going to be able to survive for the next seven years because they have some degree <laughs> of labor peace, right? Uh, and that itself is probably the biggest thing to, to get it through. I, I don't envision that in 50 years' time, uh, the CFL is going to be fundamentally different than what we're seeing right now. The, the botched expansion into Halifax 
which should have been a slam dunk, probably means that the CFL is not going to look at Halifax again. They've already tried that twice now. They've blown it twice. And so I think that the league you see in front of you is the league that you see in front of you. Teams are not going to disappear from Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. They're the biggest cities. And teams are not going to disappear from the prairies because that's where the biggest fan base is. So, you know, other than, say, Hamilton and Ottawa, Hamilton having a a pretty good, loyal fan base, and Ottawa being the capital city, I, I think that this is the league that's going to be here in 50 years. What they're going to have to do is just decide how do they make sure that they're drawing in those young demographics that we talked about earlier and make sure that they stay engaged and whether that's creating more of a party atmosphere um, bringing in gambling and, and trying to associate with it, uh, moving where the people are. Those are the things that will allow them to continue to fumble on, fumbling on. But I, I don't envision that this is going to turn into a multi-billion dollar business at, at any point in the future. We, we've already touched on the ill-fated American expansion. And, uh, you know, I think anybody who was around at that time, we, we know it was it was a huge failure for the league. And yet uh, some people like Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment think, you know, we, we should we should hook up with Dwayne Johnson and, and, and the XFL. They, they think it's the, the wave of the future. Do you think, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess I'll ask you, right, do, do you think that would be a good idea for this league? You know, if, if you if you partner yourself with, with somebody like that and, and a league like that Never. that hasn't had a lot of success? Never, never. Um, It's not the same product. And and it goes back to what we said at at the beginning, right? The CFL is not, you know, you said it's not the NHL, that's for sure. But but it's not the NFL. Uh, And the XFL can come up with whatever gimmicks it wants. The fact is that the XFL's biggest problem is it's not the NFL either. And when it comes to the U.S., uh, there's only one league that will survive. It's not going to be the reincarnated USFL, and it's not going to be the XFL. Uh, So to hitch your wagon to that, uh, is just asking for uh, what's already a problematic business model becoming even more problematic. Are you going to start compromising on 12 players moving in motion? Are you going to start compromising on Canadian content? Once you go down that path, it's not even the CFL then anymore. Uh, but if that's what is the necessary price to hook up with Dwayne Johnson, uh, I'm not smelling what he's cooking, and I'd rather just <laughs> stay away from that altogether from, from the very beginning. Okay, one final question. If you won Lotto Max and uh, won 65 or $70 million, would you buy a CFL franchise? No. No. <laughs> that was a pretty quick <laughs> no, answer. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, look, the, if, if, I, if I won Lotto Max and I won $70 million, uh, you know what? I can earn 5% interest on that. That's $3.5 million. And that's probably more than eight of the nine franchises are making in profit. So, no, nope, uh, I, I, you know what? I'll happily buy a luxury box uh, and I'll happily be a front row 50-yard line for the Grey Cup. But other than that, not a chance. I, I, I cannot see enough of a, a profit there to, to waste my lotto max winnings on. <laughs> I figure that would be the answer, and it's a good answer, and I, I, I'm in the same boat. Uh, is, there, is there any topic that I've missed here that, uh, that you would like to add, uh, you know, in closing? You, you know, I, I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I'll, I'll repeat again that, you know, the, the Canadian Soccer League, as it's uh, rising, um, is going to become a very serious threat to the CFL. It's one of those things that we were talking about, you know, ownership groups and, and what are the, the advantages to them. Um, it, hey, if I can own cavalry or, I mean, I, I just came back from two months uh, teaching in Halifax and man, the way that uh, the Wanderers has built themselves into that city, they've got a downtown pop-up stadium that's full and boisterous and the bars are packed on game days. Um, you, you know, if I'm a CFL owner and I'm watching that and I'm saying, all right, so I can either put my money into this or I can put my money into that, 
Uh, I want that. It's young. It's got the demographic that's going to be the big spenders in 20 years' time. Uh, I think that the CFL needs to really take a close look at what's going on there because that's an, that is the existential threat that could be the undoing of the CFL. It, it's, not, it's not the rock. It's not the NFL. It, it's not even the old white males that uh, want printable tickets. It's that. And I don't know that the CFL has done enough to really recognize that that's a real worry. Uh, And even if it's nothing more than, say, twinning with them, you can have a multi-purpose soccer and football stadium. It's the same turf. It's the same rough dimensions. Uh, It's going to be the same small 20,000 intimate uh, fans uh, that could be boisterous. I'd be looking at putting my money there. Uh, and trying to build some sort of uh, cross-relationships in the same way that the Roughnecks have relations with the Hitmen and the Flames uh, and, and the, the Baby Flames that are on their way to town, uh, that's where I think the owners need to be looking, and, and I think that's where they're going to find viability. It's funny that you bring up that point, because one of the biggest rumors in Calgary right now is uh, is maybe uh, the Flames and uh, Sport Entertainment are looking to sell to Spruce Meadows, and, and uh, you know, uh, obviously... Uh, they already own Calvary FC. They're trying to build their sports properties, and lo and behold, could they uh, could they build a CFL slash CPL franchise out on uh, Spruce Meadows ground? So uh, maybe you're onto something there, my friend. Uh, I, I I would I would support that, and you know the thing is that Spruce Meadows is not where they want that that stadium to be, right? right. They, they although although they, the they're Village. good at, they're good at getting fifty thousand people out for an equestrian event. So if they can do that for an equestrian event, they could probably do it for a CFL event too. Hey, so let's run the ponies first, and then let's bring up the truck wagons after for the stamps, right? So uh, maybe, maybe that's the business model that we need to look at here. This has been fun. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Anytime. Time for the Football North Roundtable. Morley Scott is the voice of the Edmonton Elks, and we wanted to bring in a little bit of a younger demo perspective today. Dave McIver is the morning sports guy on 770 CHQR. He's our sideline guy, co-host Stampeder Football on 770 CHQR. Isn't that nice, Dave, when you get to be the, the younger demographic on the show? I was just said to you yesterday, I don't think you have any other options, so I don't know <laughs> whether to feel good or to feel bad about it. <laughs> well, Morley, what, what we know is we're old, right? I'm old, and for sure. I don't know about you, but I'm old. <laughs> well, we are talking about the economic state of the Canadian Football League on entertain, on uh, Football North. And, you know, we just heard from an economics professor at uh, Concordia University. Uh, bottom line is, he is convinced that this league can survive in its current economic model. Does this league have some issues? Uh, sure, it has s- some issues. We, we've been around long enough, Morley. We've seen, you know, franchises fold. We've seen franchises sold. We've We've seen the SOS campaign here in Calgary, but uh, the one the one word I use to describe the CFL is resilient. Uh, how would you sum it up? Absolutely, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You, we've seen problems. You know, there's always a problem in the Canadian Football League, whether it's uh, you know through the American expansion, through as you mentioned a few things, right? There's always seems to be one franchise that's in trouble, one franchise that everybody has to rally around and, and get going. And right now that's probably Toronto and Vancouver for the most part. Uh, and uh, it's, it's something that's, that's always happened in the Canadian football league. As long as Canadian football league has been around, uh, there's been issues with one team or more. I remember in my early days in my career, I was working in Saskatchewan and they were in such a state, they were, they were trading grain for tickets because they wanted people to come to the game and then they were selling the grain themselves. So it's, it's yeah, it's it's had its problems, but it's always survived. And I think that's the thing everyone has to remember. It's always survived. Um, 
there may come a day where it may surprise us all, um, but I don't think that'll happen because I just think there's the hardcore fans are there. Uh, the people who run the league are, are hardcore and want to keep the league going. But to me, they clearly have to make some changes moving forward and, and treat the business model a little differently than they have in years past. So, Dave, give us that younger perspective. What do you see in this league? Well, I mean, the, the product on the field is great, but I, I honestly think, you know, you've lost my generation. Of, of football fan to the NFL. I'm 34 years old. I think you've lost the opportunity to recruit the 25 to 35 years uh, year old people. I, I, I see them at the game for sure, but the majority of us uh, aren't aren't there. And, and that's the, the biggest issue, I think, right now in terms of getting that to the next generation. And what they need to focus on even more now is getting that generation below mine to games. And to find a way to do that, we talk about events, we talk about experience, we talk about uh, making things possible or making things happen that, that make it possible for you know, people like me and people my age to go to these games. And you don't see a lot of that right now in the Canadian Football League. You know, they're trying. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at what they did in BC with One Republic. That was it was huge. But then they didn't do it in game two. And the attendance dropped off massively. Right. And you look at the first two games for the BC Lions. It's a great product on the field. You got an explosive offense with a Canadian quarterback. That used to be something that you could sell to your fan base and it just doesn't seem, at least through early this season, something that you can sell, and that's a problem. Morley, you have a real marketing guy now as the president of the Edmonton Elks, uh, Victor Cui, and I, I know you've talked to him on numerous occasions, and, and it's tough because, you know, the the, the product it hopefully is going to get better for Edmonton, uh, but it's tough when your team hasn't won, uh, you know, a, a home game in a while. So so what is, what is Victor Cui's um, game plan to attract that younger audience that, that Dave is talking about? Slow and steady. I mean, he's doing everything slow and steady as far as the fan base goes. He's implemented a lot of changes, but he's he's not doing the big sexy change like we saw in BC for Game 1 because Game 2 we saw what happened, right? As you mentioned, David, big drop-off in attendance. Everyone loved Game 1. Everybody forgot about Game 2. Mm-hmm. And, and Victor kind of talked about that going into the Elks home opener this year saying, we're not going to be splashy. We're not going to do that. We're going to do the little things that make fans happy moving forward. And they're going to try and implement things that make the game more enjoyable to come to, changing the the game day presentation, not all at once, but little things at a time. And, and just for an example, here's one thing he's going to start doing uh, on their home game against uh, the Stampeders on July 7th. It's the first time they've done this, and they're going to keep doing it throughout the season. It's going to be on a real small scale at first out at the tailgate party. But he has uh, got a prototype championship ring made up, and he's going to give those one of those away every game. It's made, as he described, from real fake diamonds. And <laughs> it's going to be... Uh, for a massive, large rock paper scissors championship, so it, there's going to be there's going to be a buy-in. It's going to be kind of like a fifty-fifty. There's going to be a buy-in, and I and I say they're doing this on a small scale, moving into the the first home game. I think they're just doing it out at the tailgate, and then eventually, though, his vision is to have a West Side champion and an East Side champion all crowned before halftime, and then those two will be at center field. Uh, at halftime for the championship of that game. And they'll play rock, paper, scissors. It'll be on the big screen. Everybody will be cheering for their side of the stadium. And the guy who wins it will get half the pot. The other half will go to charity and cover expenses for it. So it's it's small 
and it's little, but everybody can play rock, paper, scissors. Everybody has played rock, paper, scissors, and you could have an 85-year-old man against a seven-year-old girl in the championship, <laughs> right? Everybody can be a part of it, and it's just going to be one of those little add-ons that that he's put together. That's just one thing that he's been working on, and and it's just the little things like that that he wants to do just to change the atmosphere and change the attitude around the stadium. He, he doesn't want to bring in a big concert to sell a bunch of tickets one week and then no tickets the next week. So he's taking the slow and steady approach. Uh, you know, it's funny. You, you didn't see the reaction of Dave McIver because we're in a studio here in Calgary. But Dave, Dave, but put the two thumbs up, Dave. You loved it. I, I thought it's, it's a great idea. It, it, as Morley said, everybody plays rock, paper, scissors. There's yeah. a rock, paper, scissors world championship, <laughs> uh, for goodness sake. So it's a great idea. It's it's that little stuff like that that, you know, is going to And I'll tell you what, get the, ring, the ring is massive. It's like a great cup ring. It's got a big number one on the front of it. It's got RPS on the side of it for rock, paper, scissors. And then it's got it's got the little shapes of hands doing rock, papers and scissors uh, on the other side of it. And it's it's a real cool. And I think it'll be a great, uh, great keepsake for uh, the seven or eight people who win it every season. And it'll be something uh, to talk about for a long, long time. So I think it's a great idea. Uh, will it catch on? Who knows? You never know what's going to catch on and what everyone's going to like. But you got to try. Right. And and you can't. And, and, and again, it's back to the little things. It's it's those little things that just to make people more comfortable and make them smile more and make them have a better time at the game uh, because that's what they're there for, right? They're there, they're there to have a beer. They're there to watch their team, hopefully win a game. And they're there to have some fun with their family and friends. And, and he's just trying to add to that as much as he can and make it a slow build and get people coming back to the games again. The one thing I will say is the CFL is at a huge disadvantage at attracting the younger fans compared to, say, the NHL or the NFL. Hockey, as we know, Morley, is part of the Canadian culture. Kids grow up in this country playing hockey, watching hockey, you know, going to the Canadian Hockey League games, and then eventually, you know, getting employed and going to NHL games. And and it's that easy transition as you go through the levels of hockey. Uh, The NFL, you know, grassroots football in the United States, is huge. You know, you got high school games attracting 10 to 20,000 people. You know, the NCAA is a great feeder. Uh, my daughter happens to go to Texas A&M, so I went to a game at uh, Kyle Field last year, and it's amazing how the student body just jumps on board, and then, of course, your favorite player on, you know, the Aggies or whichever team you follow, that person in the NFL, you're just going to obviously become a fan, and you can see that these college kids become fans of the pros as well. Uh, we're not there in, in the Canadian in football league would you agree with that morley yeah for sure i mean you're right the americans they build their fan base because you go to high school games and watch the quarterback and then he goes to college and you become a fan of that college team then he gets drafted or signed into the nfl and you become a fan of that team and you start watching him and you continue to watch him it doesn't happen so much in canada there's there's just not that attraction i think to to ground to to grassroots football in canada like there is in the united states and i think that is a problem that the cfl has to deal with and maybe to 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 help that they've got to get on board more with grassroots football with the junior programs with the college programs university programs to help produce better atmospheres there so that fans go there and then they take the next step and move on to go to a cfl game at some point right and and it's part of building that fan base because right now you kind of you got to start from scratch right now because we all know the fan base is older now and and not to be too morbid, but they're dying off, right? CFL fans are going to die off in the next 20 years. And then who's coming to the games? That's why you have to start building that fan base now. Get parents to take their kids so the kids will go when they get older and then they'll take their kids and, and then it becomes a family tradition. CFL's 
I think, guys, the biggest problem they have right now is they have to try and keep the 45-plus crowd, the diehards, happy and coming to the games mm-hmm. while still attracting the 25-plus crowd and get them interested in the game. And that's a fine line to walk, I think. No, you're exactly right. And it's interesting. If you listen to episode one of this podcast, you know I grew up in Pooscoopy, British Columbia. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. I had no idea what the Canadian Football League was, was all about as a young kid. Uh, you know, yes, the BC Lions were in Vancouver, but in Pooscoopy and Dawson Creek, uh, there wasn't a lot of CFL talk. I obviously moved to Calgary, take the broadcasting course, and and you can see what the Canadian Football League is, and, and, I, and I became more of a fan of the league. Dave McIver, I'm curious. You know, you're a hockey guy. You grew up playing hockey, but you've, you've been a fan of the Canadian Football League. How did you become a fan of the Canadian Football League? Well, it was... Family. That's what we did when we were growing up. We went as a family to to Stampeder games. Right. And I think there is a significant gap in what was the main group of people going when I was growing up compared to what there is now. Uh, I went to uh, the Cavalry FC game on Sunday, and I was like, oh, that's where all the families are. They're going to that product now right. because of, um, you know, maybe the, the there's probably a, major, um, a ton of reasons why they're going there, but that's where they are, and they're doing things that the CFL isn't doing. I look just strictly at at prices for a CFL game. You look at what it costs to buy a beer, and I'll use the Stampeders game as an example. It's ten seventy five or eight seventy five. We got to be reading our demographic a little bit better here. We should the CFL team should know what the average salary uh, that their yeah. you know fan base is making, and then make their prices and their ticket prices and and their food prices and their beer prices, their pop prices. A water's five bucks right now at a Stampeders game. How is a family of four that maybe doesn't make as much money as let's say somebody going to a Flames game? How are they going to afford to go to a CFL football game and and have the beer and the and the and the pop and the chips and the hot dog when it costs so much? I just think that's a, a major issue in getting a family out to a game, and that gets your next generation. You know, Morley- I know there's guys. I know there's lots of negativity on on social media, but that's one of the things I've seen the most three weeks into the CFL season is people complaining about the prices of food at the concession stand, mm-hmm. the price of a beer, and then the size of that beer that they're getting. And I think you're right. They have to read the audience. I mean, who who are you catering to? These are you want to get the young people in. They can go somewhere else and have a good time and not pay twelve bucks for a beer, right? Uh, you're exactly right, and it is the elephant in the room. And and you know what? We're, we're we don't have skin in the game. We're not the owners of the team, and and we don't know what their real business models are. Obviously, Morley, the Edmonton Elks are a community-owned team, and and and, and you see the numbers. Uh, you're not exactly hitting a home run financially by by being an owner of a Canadian Football League team, either a private owner or, or a community owner. Never. You're never going to make money on the CFL <laughs> the way it stands right now. And that's why they got to make changes. And, and because of that, God bless the people who own franchises because they're doing it because they love the game. They're obviously not doing it to make money. Right. They're doing it, you know, some for other parts of their businesses, you know, for write-offs or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, uh, they're they're running and owning a CFL team because they love the Canadian Football League and they want to see it succeed and they're willing to bite the bullet and lose some money if that if that uh, is the situation they're they're faced with. So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a money maker. There's no doubt about that. But it could be. I believe it was at one point a pretty big money maker. I mean, you go back way back when 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 uh, the NFL and, and the CFL used to you know be in competition for players mm-hmm. financially and players would come to Canada because they get more money playing in Canada than they would in the States. We're never going to see that again, but we can see get to a level, I think, where teams are making money 
and are successful and the whole league can thrive. But again, they've got to open their eyes and make the changes that, that everyone feels they have to make to be successful. And sadly, it's the old saying, you got to spend money to make money. And I don't know if the CFL has the money to spend right now to try and make money long term. Yeah, no, you, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I think we've all been associated with, uh, you know, minor league baseball and, you know, you've had minor league teams in Edmonton. We've had them here in, in Calgary as well. And, and, and the biggest difference of the business model is the major league team pays the salary. So you don't have to worry about salary. Exactly. So that, that takes one big element out of the uh, uh, out of the uh, out of the uh, out of the stream. Uh, but, but the fact of the matter is, we've already said, you know, the CFL is not the NHL. It's not the NFL. You have to know your demographic. You have to know your price point of it. I, I used to love minor league baseball games because they would make every game an event, whether they bring in the San Diego chicken or they bring in, you know, all mm-hmm. of these different things and have, have t-shirt nights and have bobblehead nights and, and all that kind of stuff. Is that something, you know, Dave, you're the younger guy. Is that something that would attract a younger fan? I think you'd have to pick the right events, but it for sure would. I mean, you think uh, I want to say it was the Calgary Vipers. Now, I should, you know, preface this by saying they didn't get a lot of people, <laughs> but you know when they did get a lot of people? When Jose Canseco came to town and they made an event right right like that's something you got to do and you do see it around the cfl you look at the the party patios that they have and mm-hmm. the premium the experience the premium yeah. experience but you know what does that cost too right is the premium experience worth everything you're getting from where you're sitting where you're standing um you know for the most part i think it is but some people might look at that um it's it's events like that it's the it's it, you have to promote an experience now and you have to be able to have something at the game. Jock, what was one of the, I'm sure you could, if I ask you this question, what was the best halftime show last year that everybody loved? It was, you know, and of course, because of the pandemic, I wasn't at McMahon Stadium, but yeah, the one everybody talked about and the one that got the most hits on TikTok was, you know, Frisbee Rob. Yeah, Frisbee Rob, the dog that can catch a touchdown on a 100-yard yep. Frisbee toss. Everybody loved that. Yep. But you don't you know see what? that every game. Guys, they had that at the Elks game this year, and it was a smash. Like, everybody was cheering and hooting and hollering and having a great time. And I'm guessing concession sales were down because people didn't <laughs> want to leave their seats and and, uh, and go buy something at halftime because they were all enjoying it so much. So it's funny how that is attractive to everybody, right? Uh, everybody loves dogs, right, for the most part. And they love to watch dogs run and, and do neat things. So yeah. there you go. And I don't know how expensive it is, but it's probably – cheaper than one republic right yeah. <laughs> i don't know if it, it's not going to bring in thirty-five thousand like one republic did once no. but you have you can have the dogs you know a couple times a year it's it's, it's going to make people maybe not come back to see the dogs but make them remember that they had a good time at the football game let's go back to the football game we enjoyed it last time we went right yeah it, it truly is about the the event the the game experience and and i think that's important hey you know i remember ken king used to always say you need you need cold beers you need cold pop you need hot uh, hot food you know that's all part of the, the game day experience and it's, it's how you play on, on the field as well. Okay, so so we're not marketing experts. We can pretend we're marketing experts. Let's talk about um, price point of game tickets and how do you get that younger fan out there, that student uh, you know crowd out there. Morley, you guys said what the, the $90, $90 season tickets? I, 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 I think that's a hell of a good idea. You know, you could you could throw in like, you got end zone seats here in Calgary and you know, I, I, I wouldn't pay 25 bucks a seat to sit on metal. I, I really wouldn't. And 
if you want to get the fans here, if you want to get the university students here, you know, you, you can make it a, you know, a hundred dollar season ticket, throw in, you know, a free uh, pop, fountain pop is cheap, you know, get a, get a, get a hot dog sponsor, you know, throw in a free hot dog, you know, get those, get those kids to the game. I, I, am I on to something or, or no? Dave, you first. I think you're, you're on to something, uh, Jock, no doubt. Like we do have the bleachers here essentially in Calgary and you just can't charge 50 bucks a ticket for that. Now, I don't know exactly what they're charging to sit on the metal here, but it's not- 26 bucks with taxes. Yeah, that's got to be a fifteen, a $10, $15 ticket in my mind. You, you have the people who are going to pay for those premium seats because we've seen that. Yeah. Um, the tickets are sold at least. Maybe the people haven't shown up in the first you know, two or three weeks, including preseason. But we've, we've seen what I always used to love as a kid, and I know it's tough because they don't have the kids in school right now, is you'd go to every, once, every couple weeks, the cannons. There'd be a free ticket for students, right? right? They'd bring them to your school, and all of a sudden you'd have a free ticket. Your parent would have to buy one, but you'd have one, and those games were always packed. And you guess what? You'd say, Dad, I want to go to the game. Exactly, and do that in September and October. Yep. I know it's a little colder. I mean, not in September. September's beautiful. Yep. you got to give away, you got to give some tickets away every once and, in a while. And maybe easier morally in Edmonton when you've got, you know, a 60,000-seat facility. Yeah, for sure, because they can afford to bring in a lot of people for free or for a reduced ticket and still have those other seats to sell. To me, though, there's a danger in doing that. You don't want to okay. make it, you know, the Canadian Football League is professional football, right? And you got to you got to act professional and you got to be professional and you don't want people to get tickets with a fill-up. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. still got to have that presence that, yeah, I'm going to the CFL, I'm going to a CFL game and I'm paying for it because it's worth it. And that's where the problem is. You got you you, you can't paper the house too much. Because then it becomes, why would I buy a ticket when I can, you know, they're going to come to my kid's school and give them away. Why should I buy tickets, right? You have to still get it to the point where coming to the game is important. What happens at the game is important and you're willing to pay for it. I think that's what we're getting away from if we start giving people hot dogs and free things just to come to football games. No, I, I, th- I think that's fair. And it, it's going to be interesting because it is going to be a challenge. And, you know, obviously in, in the world that we're living in right now, where you've got a, you know, a war in the Ukraine, you got a, you know, we're still in a, you know, worldwide pandemic, you got some of the worst inflation in 40 years, you know, th- these are all issues. And it, it's a fine line because I understand the owners and, uh, you know, you, you got to make money. But you also want to create that event that we've talked about. So uh, maybe, maybe we got to get a marketing expert on the show, Marley. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that, well, maybe the CFL should hire some marketing experts too, right? <laughs> I just think they, they could do such a better job with content creation. And it's, it's, the, league and okay. the, it's the league and the team. I look at a, a sorry, Morley, I look at a, a show like Drive to Survive, yep. right? Look at the numbers F1 is doing in Canada alone since yep. that show has come out. Now, you have to get every team to buy in. And you have to, the difference between Drive to Survive and a team sport uh, even though, you know, the F1 is a team sport, technically, I guess you could say, is there's drama. Right. The teams don't like mm-hmm. each other. And the team leaders, like, you know, the, the team, I don't know what the, the drivers, yeah. yeah, the team principals, they'll talk about each other in a not very nice way. Right. And I don't think we have that in the CFL. Everybody's so respectful, but maybe the players would. You know, I don't think Dave Dickinson's going to take a shot at Chris Jones. Uh, for Hold uh, it. 
Dave Dickinson called the Winnipeg management the Canadian yeah, Mafia. Well, Good for and, Dave. And then he apologized for it <laughs> because, you know, they nobody wants to step on anybody's toes, and rightfully so if you're a coach in this league. But it's stuff like that. Look, the NHL just did it with Amazon with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Netflix yep. is doing it. NFL does it with it's hard knocks. It's that content and the younger people like it. Yeah. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And, but the, the problem is, too, is where do you find that content? Yep. Do you have to go on to CFL.ca? Or can you get that kind of TV show on TSN? Can you get a Netflix yep. or an Amazon to buy in and do something with that like they do with all the other sports i know it's tough and i know it's going to cost a lot of money money they probably don't have but if you're serious about growing getting new fans and growing the game you have to look at something like that that is proven to be successful right i think teams can kind of do that through their own websites a little bit and teams have this season yep. i know ottawa's done a series the elks uh, have done a couple episodes of, of a behind the scenes thing as well to me a big sticking point for me this year is what i've noticed is the league's harder to deal with this year the teams are harder to deal with this year uh, it used to be in the past that visiting teams would come to the stadium and do interviews to help promote the game and and, and for for media now they're they're back to the hotels in some cases and there's going to be no TV station that's going to drive downtown to the Western Hotel, find parking, load, load all their gear to the lobby to get those clips they want for their show and then try and turn it around for five or six o'clock that night. They have to become more accessible. And I know they say they are accessible, but mm-hmm. to a certain extent, they're not. They're, they're very secretive with their rosters. They're very secretive with their injured list. Uh, they won't talk about players, you know, in certain situations. And I just think the CFL has to be more open with the media and give them more access to allow them to tell their stories and it does not help when you know if whatever team has the best players in the league that you think those teams can sell tickets if those teams don't make themselves available in your market they're not going to help you sell tickets and i know i know the elks uh, they did their media avail at the at the Westin in Calgary. I know the Riders, when they came here for week one, they did their media avail at the team hotel as well. And I've noticed that around the league, it's happening more and more, which is right. just going to decline the coverage. People are just going to say, I can't go. They're closing practices now. They're, they're moving practice times without telling people. And people are not just, they're just not going to go. And they're just not going to get the coverage that they deserve because they're not doing it in the right way. Uh, so, so some great talking points here and 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 we're going to wrap this uh, this version up but the one thing we haven't talked about is uh, you know fantasy football and and betting because I'm not I'm not a gambler I've, I've never gambled but Dave I, I I see you get on your phone and I see you doing a lot of uh, you know prop bets and in-game betting and, and all that other kind that's why again I wanted the younger uh, younger perspective on, on this is the Canadian Football League doing enough uh, you know on that front it depends where you are if you're in Ontario you can go on to DraftKings and you can select a lineup of players under a certain... But you can't do that in Calgary. You can't do that in Edmonton. You can't do that in Alberta because who runs the betting here? Play Alberta. Right. That's the option you have. And I'll tell you right now, I got buddies who are on DraftKings and they will bet on... They will put a CFL lineup together if they have the option to, but they can't. And then what do they do when they put... If they're doing an NFL lineup, what do they do? They go and watch all the NFL games. They do it with golf. They do it with hockey. They do it with all the different sports out there that have the option to do that. Right. And, you know, it's it, if you have to go through it, you know, kind of the backwards way where, you know, people in Alberta have DraftKings. Shocker to the Alberta government. <laughs> it actually is something they have. I know it's probably illegal, but guess what? They have it. And if you can do that, that that does drive eyes to your game because, yeah, maybe they don't want to watch the two teams, but they want to watch the three players they have on their roster to see right. if they're going to win 100 bucks that night. And that does drive eyes to the game. As for the, the single game betting, the CFL is a very difficult league to bet on, and I do understand that. We've talked about it before, Jock. It's because anybody can win any game, and you look at uh, the games this year, and you got to have the right people making the right lines. 
right? Like, there's no way the Calgary Stampeders going into week two should be that big of a favorite over the, the or that big of a dog to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, right? People are hammering and hammering the Calgary Stampeders, no doubt, because they think well, the Stamps looked pretty good in, in week one in their comeback. Maybe they'll look good. Now, they didn't look that great in the first half, but you know what I'm saying. I yeah. think when you have to bet on the underdog every single time to make any sort of decent profit, you're probably not going to bet on it, right? I didn't understand any of that morally. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't get the plus six hundred and the plus nine hundreds and all that stuff. But what, what I did as a kid was I was in the hockey pools, yep, and yep. they have the the capacity to do that in the Canadian Football League, but they can't. And I think a big issue with that too is is the rosters. Guys are in and out of the roster too much, and it just you can't just get your favorite guys on all the time. And and I, and you know, I would probably take part in that if I could. The CFL could drive more eyes if there was a cash prize for their fantasy football game, right? Okay. Everybody plays CFL, like whoever plays CFL fantasy, I don't, but if you... Why don't you? Because what's the no, end, no, what's no cash, the end goal? No cash. You know what's the end goal? I mean, okay. If I if I have an opportunity to win some some money and and, and you put something towards it, it, that's what you do. That's why people play fantasy football in their groups. That's why ten buddies get together and they pick an NFL team. I know it's harder in the CFL because there's not as many teams, there's not as many guys to pick. Right. But you then scale it down. Right. Scale down the number of people you have on your team. Scale down the number of receivers. Scale down the number of running backs. And there's an opportunity for you know guys to get together and. Put a put a pool together, as Morley said, or or put a fantasy league together, and then there's a. What do you do at the end of a fantasy football with your buddies? Well, somebody wins the amount of money that everybody bought in for, and some guys got to go do a stupid punishment, and there you go. There's 12 guys that are now watching <laughs> CFL football and engaged were, and, and, and engaged, engaged that weren't yeah. before. No, it's 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 great. You know what? So, so many great topics here, guys, and and I guess just in closing, as, as we sort of set off the top, you know, we're, we're not going to solve all of the issues for the Canadian Football League. Uh, there are some issues, but. Um, you know, th- this league has been around for over 100 years, and, and morally, you know, I, I, I'm still in love with this league, and, and, you know, another American expansion I think would be a huge, huge mistake. I, I'm not in favor of four-down football. I am not, you know, in favor of a partnership, you know, with the, with the XFL. Uh, I, I don't know. From a younger perspective, Dave, do you think that makes sense? No? Uh, I think if uh, I'm... <laughs> See, I'm younger, but I'm more like you guys in terms of the fan my age right now, right? Okay. Um, so when it comes to a question like that... I love the Canadian Football League. I have since I was a kid. I love the three downs. I love, you know, the Rouge. I love all those different things that are mm-hmm. unique to Canada. You can't get rid of any of, any of that. And I didn't like the partnership with the XFL either um, because what came of that? Nothing. Yeah. And That league has been around, what, one season they've completed? So. Yeah, and they've. They, you look at the USFL right now. Geez, I threw a game on there. There might have been 15 people because they're all being played in the same city. I think that... You need to look on the outside of things. You don't look at the game. The game's great. The game's great the way it is. And they've made some good rule changes in terms of more points and stuff like that, which will drive a younger crowd because the younger crowd wants to see scoring. Um, But it's things outside the game that we've been talking about that you need new eyes, right? You need new eyes on the game. How do you get new eyes on the game? You've got a decent fan base right now. You You need the new ones and you need the young ones. That's a big one for me. You need... You need the families starting to come back to CFL games because then the kids grow up, they take their kids, and that's how the CFL ran for many years. And then they missed a generation or two, and that's been the issue when it comes to the crowd size we've been seeing. Morley, your final thoughts? 
Uh, they got to get out in the communities. They got to make themselves known and they got to get people into the ballpark. Like you're saying, Dave, it's a great game that when you watch it, you enjoy it. You just got to get people to watch it somehow, whether that's in the park or on TV. Morley, this has been fun. I appreciate your time, man. Anytime. And Dave McIver, it's great to have the younger perspective. Thanks for having me, John. And that does it for Football North.